0: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Episode 79 of the Health Unchained podcast. How many of you have already received your COVID vaccinations? If you're in one of the select groups who have gotten vaccinated, how are you proving your vaccination record to travel border agents or health institutions? In this episode, we dive deep into smart vaccination certificates, specifically the Guard platform, which already has nation partners like Estonia, Iceland and Hungary. Our guest is Ayn Avixu, Chief Medical Officer at Guardtime, which developed VaccineGuard. Having both a medical degree and a master's in public health, Ayn shared his experience and perspective on the health data transparency applications that can be made possible with blockchain. I first met Ayn in Boston at the Conv2x conference in 2019, where we discussed ways Guardtime was looking into healthcare applications using blockchain. So much has happened since then, and I really enjoyed catching up with him and recording this episode, since it is very relevant to the current state of the pandemic. Thank you to all the members of the Health Unchained Telegram community for sharing their questions for Ayn before our recording. To join the community, go to t.me healthunchained Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show.
1: What is blockchain? What is blockchain? Blockchain. Blockchain. is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now.
0: Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Ein Aviksu, Chief Medical Officer of an Estonian-based company founded in 2007 called Guardtime. We'll be talking about the network and data security tools that they've developed, blockchain, and most importantly, the recent developments with GuardTime's vaccine guard platform that was launched in 2020 to enable effective management of COVID 19 vaccine distribution to people across the world. Ayn, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing very well. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you.
0: Great. And for some of my listeners who may not know you already, can you just give like a brief background about yourself and how you got into guard time?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm trained as a medical doctor. So I started with my childhood dream to become a doctor and save the person uh, on this planet. And then I realized that uh, treating patients uh, one at a time is difficult. So I believe quite uh, at the end of my medical studies, I fell into health economics. So I started to wonder how the systems work, what is the role of healthcare and medicine in the broader scene. And yes, I believe that for four years after I was in my residency training, so I became orthopedic surgeon, but also in parallel, I started to work as a, a consultant to international organizations like the World Bank and also the World Health Organization. And then I did my Master of Public Health um, at the School of uh, uh, Harvard School of Public Health. And I think since then it was more or less decided that I would keep uh, bridging between healthcare and IT. So the IT is also something that I uh, got excited. As I would say most uh, of the people uh, of my generation in Estonia, so we regained independence the same year when internet was brought to mainstream in 1991. So it, it seemed like a cool new thing. And so the whole country and the society and people within really were embraced with it. So I started uh, my first uh, startup in 1999. That was, as most of the companies at that time, Health Portal. And it is still up and running. I, I sold it a few years later, a little bit too late, I would say, uh, just one year too late I went through quite well the the dot com bubble but but I couldn't do um, in 2008 so I yeah I sold it uh, I waited um, a little bit uh, longer and actually I sold it uh, with a lower price than I could have in the first place so I had my lessons with startups and and, and tech industry as well and uh, probably uh, I heard first about Guardtime in the early days of its establishment in 2008 uh, and uh, that was also the first time i heard anything about uh, i think it was very remotely mentioned blockchain it was uh, transfer from link timestamping to to blockchain technologies but i was invited to work for the company in uh, 2017 and i joined the company the year later in 2018
0: very nice thanks for sharing all that and i think that's a a common theme i do see happening where people practicing medicine or have been medically trained decide to go into the technology or entrepreneurial route. So I think that's really great. That experience is really helpful, I think. So really cool that you're doing that. So when did you exactly first hear about blockchain? Was it around that 2008, 2009 time frame and Bitcoin was just getting started at that point?
1: Exactly. Estonia is a small country. People apparently know each other. So I knew the people who worked for for, for Gartime. and when Bitcoin was started to be talked about, then the friends told me that actually the academic research that laid foundation to Bitcoin, but also the KSI blockchain that Gartam uh, was using and is still using, originates uh, from the same group of people that uh, did some academic research in the end of 90s and early this year in Japan, and also they worked in Singapore together. It was funny to see 10 years later, I think sometime in 2018, when somebody made an investigative article and suggested that maybe the Satoshi Nakamoto is, is from Gartheim. We don't denounce that, uh, but we, uh, of course, <laughs> we can't confirm that either. But the truth is that, yes, around 2008, 2009, the people who, who work for Gartheim we're very proud of the accomplishments at that time that Gartem was capable to write to the Estonian state to protect its digital assets after the this, this cyber attack of 2007. And this still forms a solid cornerstone of the company legacy and, and also the great value that the technology provides in various domains.
0: So can you just quickly talk about the 2007 attack you mentioned? I'm not too familiar with that.
1: So in 2007, Estonia was already quite well-developed in terms of digital services. We had already first elections where you could vote using your digital identity. Banking was about, I think, 95% digital. You could file your taxes. At that time, I think it took you maybe five to 10 minutes. Now, sorry, at that time, it uh, took you... Around 20 minutes, now it's 5 to 10 minutes to file your taxis every year. Paying for your parking ticket on the street was digital. And then suddenly it was all gone. Because of later on it was known and realized it was a, a serious state-sponsored uh, DJOS attack. But it was protected and discovered and resolved say, within 2-3 days. But in within those two three days, most of the, in Estonia realized that our life is so much dependent on digital services already, uh, and also people started to think that if big part of the information that you have is only digital form, then you need to take serious precautions so that maybe in five ten years time, and when when uh, somebody presents you with a uh, document or an artifact from past. How can you possibly know that it is uh, truthful and, and reliable? But that was the time when the government had to make up uh, their mind whether we scale back or we build our digital services even more resilient. And the choice was for the second uh, option. And then, the actually, uh, it started with an academic work. But in a year, when the solution was presented to the government, it was clear that there is also a basis for uh, a commercial exploitation beyond just the Estonian state. So resolving the issue of how to make a data at scale and reliable without reliance on any human or organizational entity, just mere technology and mathematics was the, the solution that KSI blockchain uh, was an answer. And uh, yes, it was immediately or directly um, developed from the practical need of a sovereign state.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. Thanks for that background information. I was not aware of all that. Let's jump into COVID-19 now, because I know that's been a big focus for your company now. And I'm wondering, can you share some, maybe some statistics on the COVID vaccine globally that you're seeing? How many people maybe have been vaccinated? What, what What do you know about all that right now?
1: Yeah, I think that this is a very timely discussion because I think just a few days ago, the number of people who are vaccinated globally surpassed that of the number who were officially diagnosed with COVID. So where we have now more people who have immunity from public health intervention rather than just getting the, the disease in an uncontrolled manner. Being trained as a medical doctor, I must admit that the potential threat of a global pandemic wasn't really a new thing. I think in the public health circles, it has been debated uh, or predicted, I think, for last 10 years, seriously. And I think for the last five years, the main uh, opinion was that if, the question is not if, the question is when. Or, or the, the way how uh, people are traveling around the world, the number of population globally, but also the way how viruses move between people and, and animals. And so all that pointed uh, to the the outcome that we are just experiencing. So initially, I thought that we can solve this with the technological means, be it medical technology or otherwise. By today, we certainly have seen that there is psychology and politics which are not hard sciences and and that nobody could predict. So that with guard time, Obviously, as a technology company, we have been, one could say, benefited uh, from it because managing a lot of information, which is what you need if you want to address a global public health event or even locally within a country, that, that turns people to, to organizations for finding the solution. And then also with the physical travel restrictions and social distancing, on the other hand, also, people need to uh, find other ways to communicate and exchange information. But more specifically, since the, the mission uh, statement of Gartime is that our goal is to make all the world's information and data reliable, very quickly we realized that there is an opportunity when it comes to implementing the largest product launch in human history. Nobody has ever been tasked to distribute uh, 8 to 10 billion dosages of a product across the world in every single country to every single village in a year or okay, two. So that uh, this is where we realized that the, the technology that actually has been used uh, by other industries, uh, like telecoms but also uh, logistics and uh, mm-hmm. the supply chain in military industries developed by GarTrime, right? can support similar kind of operations in the healthcare domain as well. Understanding where do you need to deliver uh, the vaccines. Vaccines are a specific type of, of products. They, they need very specific conditions. Uh, but then also the idea that the physical vaccines at some point, uh, convert the flow or the supply of uh, uh, vaccines as the physical goods converge with that of the healthcare service flows. And uh, everyone wants to be certain that uh, the vaccine that they get is authentic. And then also, since the vaccines were developed at such a high p- pace, It is very important to collect quality information after uh, now the vaccinations have been delivered. This is what is called in, in medical terms pharmacovigilance or easier to say just the quality monitoring after something has been delivered, a pharmaceutical has been delivered. So this is again, collection of information, but making all the time reference to the history. So building this provenance trail of what has happened with certainty, and in, in many cases, for many organizations, in order to help them also to protect against liability that this operation along with. So this is where we realized that we do have a, a product and understanding uh, which would uh, dramatically increase the efficiency and effectiveness of this uh, vaccination campaigns.
0: Yeah, I appreciate all that. And I have a couple of questions for you just so the audience has some context. How big is Gartime? Because I do usually interview startups that are rather small, but Gartime is, they have offices in multiple countries. So can you just give like a company structure overview?
1: Yeah. Gartime is a, a weird company. So we are a small global company. We, our core product development and also the research and development activities are based in Estonia, in two of the largest cities, Tallinn and Tartu. We are headquartered in Lausanne because we also do have some corporate investors. And so the holding is therefore in uh, in Lausanne. We also do have operations in the Netherlands and beyond Europe, we have very strong presence in the U.S. We have a subsidiary called Garden Federal, who is only working uh, with the U.S. government contracts, but we also do have development teams on the East and West Coast. And then for sales and client management, uh, we have offices in Dubai, Singapore, and uh, Shanghai. the The way how we can cover well, and we we can cover multiple industries in in many countries, is not by huge headcount. So in, in total, we are less than two hundred people. That we usually work through partnerships. So, for instance, one of our Biggest collaborations is in marine insurance, and there there is a, a joint venture with uh, EY. And also, similarly, we work with Verizon in the U.S. on the telecom and the cloud infrastructure security so- uh, solutions. That's basically the, the general model that we partner up with companies and organizations who can scale our technology quickly and to the customers in specific segments.
0: Interesting. Yeah, when I was doing some research I did see you have multiple types of products that you're currently offering and I'm going to list a few just briefly we could talk about them a little bit but I think we can get into the the details of the Vaccine Guard most importantly I think that's where my audience is most interested in. But you have this MIDA M I D A cybersecurity work and that's the work you're talking about with Verizon zero-trust system that you've developed, your company's developed, the GuardTime KSI platform, and that was an interesting one because it had to do with, I think, uh, currencies for centralized banks. I'm curious about that one. And then you have KCI Cash and then HSX for the life sciences industry. So any of those that you feel should be covered right now?
1: Yes, of course, being responsible for the healthcare version GuardTime. That's the domain that, that I can describe and, and explore uh, in detail. But the core of all the verticals that we, we work at is the of blockchain that, that, that I mentioned, uh, its origin and, and history. Uh, and what it allows to assure any data assets, but also any a process integrity with the frequency of one second. And with the scalability of ten to the power of twelve transactions per second. So when people compare and discuss about distributed ledgers and the subset of that being blockchains, so the main differentiator that we provide is the scalability. And that's for good reason because remember, we were established at the request of the government with the task to build a system that is resilient beyond really millions and trillions of transactions. The idea that all the participants in a blockchain-based system are anonymous to each other has not been the requirement, and for most of our applications, that is not even desired. So, for instance, if you take healthcare or some other areas. so. The MIDA, for instance, is a solution for uh, basically anyone uh, who is uh, working with lots of data. And uh, when the data is spread uh, across cloud services, you may have your uh, on premise databases, and then increasingly you have people running around uh, with uh, devices with them, or you may have sensors uh, all around. And uh, in order to Have actually at any given point of time understanding what is happening in your network. And uh, yeah, all these companies do have policies and and, and requirements, and then they have service level agreements with their customers. But actually, it's humanly not possible to monitor that with good accuracy. And with the increasing number of data breaches, we have learned that it takes sometimes uh, months or even more than a year to even discover. That there has been a data breach. So MILA is designed to have this real-time situational awareness and basically be able to react within seconds if something goes you know, off their, their, their traditional patterns. And you could make the reference and, and, and think that when the any digital asset, when we talk about that, assigned by say, okay, so Cash, sorry, assigned by a blockchain, enables you to just build an agents, which are then capable of understanding and reading the activities between the geographically or spatially distributed data assets. And then also build inference, what might be off the normal. So that's, let's put it in a way, very kind of generic explanation. What is the problem that, that is, is resolving now case by cash is something that I can speak, I'm allowed to speak very a little about, because this is really an area of heavy research and development. But the truth is that Garta, together with the Estonia Central Bank, is working with the, by now, 11 different central banks in Europe, and the, and the European Central Bank, to build a robust architecture for even if a theoretical system, which would serve the, the, the purposes of uh, a digital currency by central banks, again we are, we are we're talking about something that is one of the foundations of any country. Having control over the over your money is uh, next to the your borders and your citizens count. Basically, they're one of the most important features. So, KSI cash and the central bank digital currency is currently has passed the first phases of testing and is giving very promising results, mostly, I I, I could say, for its resilience and and scalability. Not that Gartam had any doubts in it. As I said, the systems that we have so far have proven to be really scalable to the level that is needed for tasks like, for instance, central bank digital currency we are working also in in space area and and there the the idea is to make certain that all that information that is come that is coming from satellites and that increasingly is being used to make uh, various decisions in a automated manner again you have to be certain that those millions bits and various data streams actually are reliable you can see this thread coming through with in various areas that all do require one uh, part, which is, okay, if I'm automating my processes, if I would like to use more information, if I would like to use information from various sources, I want to be certain that if I start processing that data, that I can trust it. And then that is the, the underlying foundation that Gartam is providing. But in all cases, that requires additional layer of functional specifics of any given area. And that is where, as I mentioned, we usually work with, with different organizations who can help to bundle our core technology into specific uh, products and services in that
0: uh, uh, vertical. Very interesting. I do have a question about the technology. When you say that it is very scalable and you can have many transactions per second, Oftentimes, we hear that in blockchain, there's a balance between security and the number of transaction throughput. Is there any risks in the security model that you have because you are able to transact so many uh, transactions at a time?
1: So I wouldn't say there is a risk, but certainly there is uh, there is one specific one at least one specific assumption that we have taken which is that we don't use blockchain for instance for transport purposes so that the original data always stays in its original location so all we do is give a cryptographic Assurance that whenever this data asset, document, MRI scan, configuration of your software, whatever, you can describe in a digital manner as a digital twin. Whenever you present that data artifact to a th- other party, this receiving end can independently verify the authenticity and uh, immutability of that data from that moment when it's uh, claimed to be created. But the actual transport of that information from point A to point B is outside of the value proposition or the action that KSI blockchain delivers. And that can be facilitated, again, using various means. And certainly, in some circumstances, if not in most circumstances, you would encrypt that. You can do all the different things. And uh, so you are going to, uh, shift that cost to those other technologies. But what, again, we always can guarantee that if this uh, data asset uh, pops up on the other end, then you can independently verify that it hasn't been changed or tampered uh, since uh, the moment that it was uh, created or uh, sent uh, to the receiving end. And if you add also uh, the, kind of the, the timeline, uh, and in very many cases, you can even imagine that you can make inference by looking at uh, a sequence of activities that have uh, happened in parallel and in certain cases converged. So you can build uh, kind of meta services which enable you to process data that comes from outside sources and channels than Gartime's KSI blockchain, but you can add this uh, verification component and then combine and then start using that data in good not in good faith but in, in good assurance that it's reliable and not compromised. I hope this description helped to explain why our scalability is not in any way and if functionally compromising, but it's a deliberate choice that we offer certain benefits and we expect that if other components are needed, then they are delivered by other technologies.
0: Got it. I'm trying to understand the KSI blockchain. And, you know, if this is too much into the weeds, we can move forward into other questions I have. But I'm curious, is there a specific decentralization model that you have? Like, where are these data center stored are there multiple participants yep. who do it for some incentive like how is the structure of that
1: yeah yeah so case of blockchain is what by definition could be called a private permission blockchain so that all the entities and nodes that are participating uh, are known and also the distribution of the nodes is in addition layered so that the consensus and so everybody who is participating is not necessarily a consensus node so that consensus nodes uh, are separate but at the same time all the participants and all the nodes are contributing and what they are contributing is not their raw data but it's a, a hash of the data assets and it's horizontally Aggregate it into a Merkle tree. So it's eventually a hash of a hash. And then there is also a timestamping calendar hash so that every second you then aggregate together the hashes of millions of nodes. And then you give each of them back the receipt of their contribution to the blockchain. And then, okay, they in that way also keep part of the. A verification chain now the trust anchor for uh, agar times a case blockchain is eventually regularly printed root hash in so uh, the root hash is regularly printed uh, in physical media financial times there are a few other newspapers now we also use uh, a twitter for that So that, basically, it's a very old method called widely witnessed evidence. We know from history books that it was Galilei who first used this, basically, to claim the the authenticity of certain information. And that actually gives the guarantee that even Gartime itself would not be able to change any of those blocks. And even, theoretically, if the company would cease to exist... It's mathematically possible to uh, verify the authenticity of any document just using the mathematical articles that have been printed in, in peer-reviewed journals. So that is how the, the the trust framework is built. That it's a combination of uh, cryptographic mathematics. There are there is some invention and some IP related how you can create. These uh, Merkle trees with such uh, efficiency, and then also keeping the, uh, the trust anchor uh, printed for anyone to see and distributed physically across the globe with, with Financial Times so that it's uh, really extremely difficult to, to change any of that information. Yeah, for, uh, for forging the um, proof that we give back to our customers.
0: Got it. And looking at the guard time Twitter, I do see a pinned tweet and it's a bunch of characters and it says publication code, January 15th, 2021. Is that the physical proof?
1: Yeah, that is the physical proof uh, and that is regularly printed. And uh, basically beyond that fact, it's, I would say, practically impossible uh, to change. And uh, since this is one way cryptographic mathematics that we're using This is also where the claim of quantum immunity comes, so that there is no PKI-type public or private key pairs that are needed in order to to get the verification of this original data asset. Again, it has been a deliberate choice. It brings sometimes discussions for the need of, for verification, you would need online uh, connection. There are actually use cases that we have developed where uh, it is possible to build services that give you uh, also assurance uh, in an offline manner. But again, the underlying principle is that uh, you would not need uh, a a third-party, some certificate authority in order to keep the system up and
0: running. Thank you for explaining that. That's really interesting to me. Hopefully the audience agrees. You mentioned something about... The Estonian central banks and how building on your permissioned private blockchain to create KSI cash, and that's still in development and not finalized yet, but looks like progress is being made. And I want to know your, you know, opinion about this idea with a public decentralized currency, such as Bitcoin, for example, versus um, centralized banks, digital currencies that a lot of countries are looking into, including China, the U.S. Others as well. Do you think that the future is going to be many centralized bank digital currencies? Or can you see a world where there will be like a single or a few public currencies? What are you thinking there?
1: Yeah. Now that's certainly out of my professional expertise, and also as I said, the work with with the digital currencies is is managed and run by crazy smart people that's in another department of Cartime. I certainly see that, as, as I said, as money is something that defines uh, a sovereign state. So I can't see the world where the countries would give away that authority to to steer economies by non-state actors. But I think what is the I don't know what the solution is. But I certainly believe, and and, and we've seen that now, I think, even the recent months that I think just India recently prohibited cryptocurrencies. And I I, I can see and understand uh, why people inherently would like to have independence from sovereign states. Yet, I remind everybody that it's usually the sovereign states that give you protection through the citizenship, and that can still agree on some sort of principles and rules on behalf of uh, 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 a great number of people. So each citizen on earth to agree with all the other 8 billion probably wouldn't be very efficient way. So yes, I certainly see the role of central banks, even in the
0: digital era. Got it. Yeah. And that's a conversation and debate that's going to continue for probably decades, I would imagine. But it is very interesting. And you're right. Having a citizenship in a country does offer some benefits as well. And I feel like half of my audience would think, oh, let's become anarchist and completely decentralized. The different half is more in the lines of um, traditional, more permission kind of systems. So thank you for sharing your thoughts there. Let's get into Vaccine Guard a little bit more into, into the details. I know you have a partnership right now with Estonia, Hungary, some Icelandic government and others, I presume. So can you just discuss how those conversations went and any other new developments you have that you can share?
1: Sure. So yeah, currently Estonia, Hungary, Iceland, uh, and AstraZeneca in Estonia have officially joined the pilot network. I should also say that Lithuania and Poland just recently confirmed it in the same way. And we are talking with around 30 to 40 countries. And when we say VaccineGuard, a pilot network, what we mean is that it's a platform-based service which enables to manage and support vaccination campaigns. So mostly the discussion is about vaccination certificates or some call it vaccination passports for enabling more travel across the borders or even within countries to go to concerts or or sports events. And that is true that VaccineGuard can offer a privacy-preserving, global verification of the certificates. And also, we are talking to several other certificate providers, and that's the main work we're doing with WHO to provide also interoperability between those different certificate solutions, which there will be many. But the main value that uh, VaccineGuard offers, and I um, dare say that it's a unique in, in that matter, is, remember when I talked about the uh, distribution of vaccines also requiring rigor and reliability so that you won't have counterfeit vaccines? Uh, for equitable distribution, we really would like to be certain that if vaccines are intended for a certain location, they don't end up in another location. And eventually, when you have distributed uh, 10,000 uh, uh, vaccine dosage to, uh, somewhere, you don't want to see 50,000 certificates uh, coming from that location. So what we offer is end-to-end traceability of the distribution chain, and then linking that also with the healthcare service provision so that you can link a unique individual with the unique vaccine serial number and give that assurance to the individual in the vaccination certificate, but then create real-time reporting without any need of the personal information because it's not important that, for instance, Avixor was vaccinated in some Tallinn hospital in Estonia. But it is important to know that this vaccine of the, of the company that was sent to Tallinn in Estonia has now been used for an individual, and this vaccine cannot be used anymore. And most certainly, this serial number of this vaccine cannot be used in another location. And also, if the vaccination requires, for instance, due dosages, you you might not always go to the same place where you got your first vaccination. So again, we enable to to keep linkage of those two events, again, without necessarily building a huge centralized database where all the vaccinations are listed that people are afraid of. So having distributed information and signed with our technology and then equipping people with a document in their hand and showing it when they want to the healthcare workers or, for that matter, at the border guard. And then those receivers then either just verify the authenticity of the document, if that's the border guard. So there is no need to fetch any data from some centralized database. You get the information from the citizen and then just verify this cryptographic proof that we have created or if that's another healthcare provider, the this, this citizen or the patient can authenticate that to actually get the, the full vaccination record and then add the second dose if that is required. So building these kind of flexible workflows with citizens having full control over who sees what information and then at the same time giving all the time assurance to the stakeholders that the information that they are operating, for instance, they know that the citizen actually did get the vaccination because this vaccine was delivered to that location. Hence it is possible that this certificate is correct, not only because of the paper but or or the face value what is written there, but also because this data cannot have been used for this certificate unless this vaccine actually was in that hospital. So that's the true value. And and from therein, what we work with different governments is, in a modular manner, what are the most important services that you can start uh, building using this information. The first thing usually is vaccination certificate. The second is, for instance, coordination of your ordering and distribution. The, the step further is actually if you collect all the, from all the people who sign up for the vaccination, you can actually predict or your campaign based on that. And then the step further is pharmacovigilance, as I mentioned, with the quality monitoring of the vaccines after they have been delivered. And the different countries are using you know, different depth of the platform. And as we can provide it then in a subscription based manner, so it's very easy for them to start using the solution. And it usually has, so we do have APIs, which then usually are connected with some of their existing systems. So again, they keep you know, the best part of the what they have uh, today and they augment that with Vaccine Guard for a quick and efficient rollout of this huge uh, task of uh, COVID 19 vaccination campaigns.
0: When my community, my Health Unchained Telegram community heard I was interviewing you, they had some questions as well that I, I want to just touch upon now. One was Will these vaccine guard, you know, the documentation, uh, the records, will they also be integrated into medical records? So for existing health records that patients might have, would it be connected?
1: Yes. Yes. So if this vaccination uh, record first is created in vaccine guard, the reporting, I call it reporting uh, artifact, is being sent to what has been decided is the necessary addressee. So it might be the local medical record, because the vaccine guard instance is run inside the perimeter of the IT infrastructure of the healthcare worker, in most cases. There might be also in some instances where they run in a cloud. We do have SaaS service as well, but for healthcare data, mostly it is close to the original data. And that usually is the full record. And then again, in the, at the same instance, it, it is possible that you send the reporting artifact to your data warehouse or even to your local public health agency. And those two latter instances do not require any personally identifiable information. You just need to recall that now the vaccination event took place. So indeed, this vaccine guard is talking to the other outside bodies, but the, the rules are defined by the local user.
0: That's very helpful. Another question that came through was regarding immunity. We all, for the audience, there's a difference between vaccination Proving your vaccination and proving your immunity, because immunity passports, vaccination passports should be treated differently because someone can get a vaccination. We don't know yet, but potentially in the future, maybe lose immunity, but someone may never have been vaccinated, but have naturally gotten COVID-19 and then they are immune. Have you at guard time and with the vaccine guard platform, what are your thoughts around naturally infected people who are now immune and how do they go about proving whether or not they're immune. Is there a path to yeah. that as
1: well? Yeah, sure. So I think the, the best example currently is that we have with the government of Iceland. So Iceland is issuing people certificates or documents about uh, various statuses about their, related to COVID-19. So it can be that you have diagnosed COVID and then confirmed as improved and recovered. And then if somebody would accept that as your uh, potential immune status uh, report, then uh, you can have it. Also, you can basically have a document which just measures the your immunity level in a specific lab test. And, and again, from the vaccine guard point of view, assuring those certificates is similar in all cases. So indeed, what we have envisaged, and this is our you know, service development engagement with different governments, is that you can imagine that, and, and people who understand the domain, that having been diagnosed with COVID-19 and then having also the lab test, uh, say after two three months, which then states your immunity level, together actually makes a good inference that if your immunity level is positive and you have been diagnosed before that, then that together is a good indication of you being in, having good immunity. Whereas if you only have a rapid test provided about the immunity, in most cases, the level of the false positives is considered too high to, to make any accurate decision upon whether that is good enough to execute certain policies. So what we can help governments with, the Vaccine Guard, is actually to have a a collection of these kind of events captured in an easy and meaningful way, and then process that information according to their policies, which they would require. So test results, vaccination certificates, and certificates about being diagnosed with COVID, all can be assured with Vaccine Guard. But once again, I repeat, our core really is towards the vaccination programs. So the immunity status confirmation is possible, but not the primary value of VaccineGuard.
0: Understood. And the vaccination password is more, it's a more tangible kind of process, I would say as well, because you have the pharmaceutical companies producing the vaccines and then it's a rather small supply chain until it gets to the end user or the... Correct. It's very cool. Welcome to Health Unchained News Corner. In recent months, there have been more reports of new variants of the coronavirus across different parts of the world. In South Africa, there were plans to distribute millions of AstraZeneca Oxford COVID vaccines the viral vector type using genetically modified virus, until some new evidence suggested that this vaccine provided minimal protection against mild or moderate cases involving the B1351 variant, also known as 501 V2. The B1351 strain is reported to be more easily contagious than the strain originating from Wuhan, China. This sparked a concern over the effectiveness of the AstraZeneca vaccine for at least a few days, and some epidemiologists like Salim Abdul-Karim at Columbia University asking to completely halt the rollout until we collect more clinical efficacy data. However, the article I wanted to highlight in this episode was the announcement by the WHO recommending people take the AstraZeneca vaccine as it still has been shown and proven to reduce rates of hospitalizations and death from COVID-19. Quoting from the article, In the immediate wake of the study results, South Africa said it plans to switch from AstraZeneca to Johnson & Johnson's vaccine for its primary vaccination campaign. The plan would be to still roll out some of the AstraZeneca vaccine, but in limited quantities, and to monitor recipients closely to see how well it works. In terms of doses that have been purchased, AstraZeneca is currently the world's largest source of COVID vaccines, scheduled to deliver more than 2 billion doses this year. The majority of AstraZeneca's production lines are slated for low- and middle-income countries. AstraZeneca's product is attractive to officials in many lower-resource settings because it's cheap and can be stored in conventional refrigerators. The next leading manufacturer globally is Pfizer, committing to roughly a billion doses this year. Scientists and policymakers are working through many unknowns about the new variants. One thing that seems safe to say is getting a vaccine now is better than waiting for for a perfect vaccine in six months or a year from now. You can find more information about this news corner in the show notes. And now back to our interview with Ayn Aviksu, Chief Medical Officer at Guard time Oh, yes. So I wanted to throw a wrench into this process a little bit because there are new variants of COVID-19 and there still hasn't been you know completed studies about the effectiveness of the vaccines we currently have. As the chief medical officer at Gartime, how concerned are you about the various variants of COVID-19 are?
1: As a chief medical officer and as a healthcare professional, I am certainly concerned because I do think that we will only learn about the, 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 the consequences and implications of that to all the efforts that we have put into vaccinations. Now... Being responsible for the product development of, of VaccineGuard, I must say that the good news we have to, to the governments and people is that VaccineGuard helps to manage that new understanding in a way that, for instance, if you know that certain vaccines are, have better protection, you can extend the expiry date of that certificate, for instance, or if you discover that uh, some of the vaccines might need require uh, a revaccination sooner, then again you can create alerts, uh, or you can basically, yeah, build various services which enable to invalidate the certificates, but not invalidate uh, for good, uh, so that there is no of consecutive action but rather than guide people to seek for the additional vaccination or what are the remediation measures. So that this is something that we have started to work right now. For us, working with the policymakers has been the, I would say, the crucial part of our product development. And it's slower. We know that policymakers are not good at making decisions. As I mentioned initially, there is a lot of psychology and politics involved. That we also don't want to be seen as a tech company who is pushing some solutions without proper responsibility to what is acceptable to the societies. So that all those concerns we are well aware of, but we are very confident that our solution and the platform is very flexible to implement various policies that then are being um, decided.
0: And. Can you talk to me more about the work you're doing with the WHO? And I'm sure they're involved with many governments all over the world. So I'm just curious about how your relationship, GuardTime's relationship is with them. And are they seeking many different companies that are doing the same thing and just trying to bring them all together? What's their strategy?
1: Indeed. So. Our involvement with WGO started now already more than a year ago, and that was when the Estonian government suggested to the WGO freshly established Department of Digital Health and Innovation some experience and technologies that have been proven useful in Estonia. And that was prior COVID era. Now, when the epidemic started, then, of course, the focus of the different options that we were weighing before all were converged uh, towards what can we do about covid and then the idea of a smart vaccination certificate was then decided to be the uh, the first use case where this global uh, digital architecture and solution would be developed under the the auspices of of WHO which as we, uh, a technical organization and really operates under the mandate given by the 193 member states. The current policy is careful, and the, I think the, uh, as we speak, more or less, there is a large working group. I believe there are members more than 100 members of the technical working group of the Smart Vaccination Certificates, that just before the end of last year was summoned by WHO. So that is the second way how I personally and Gartheim are contributing uh, to this work of WHO. And as you rightfully mentioned, there are many companies, many technical experts across the globe contributing towards what is expected to become a compendium of uh, standards and principles that smart vaccination certificate uh, should meet. And as the goal is to offer some guidance already for the solutions that are aiming at mitigating the ongoing epidemic, certainly something has to be agreed pretty quickly. And the pretty quickly means uh, the first draft is expected to be made public by the end of February, as as far as Mm -hmm. I know. The, The work that has started though, has much longer perspective. So the first two use cases were certificate for medical purposes that I mentioned that if you need from one medical facility to convey meaningful information about the, the vaccination to be understood and taken on for the basis of action by another healthcare facility. And then the second use case is for to prove your vaccination status for travel purposes. There are many other uh, use cases that are being also considered. And the goal has been uh, told is that whatever is agreed as a baseline draft, the guidelines and standards have to be extendable to those other use cases. I mentioned pharmacovigilance, linking with the national vaccination registries, but hopefully something really practical for interoperability purposes that comes out of that work. It uh, is hopeful that many technological solutions can contribute and, uh, yes, I have every reason to believe that the travel restrictions, which currently are based on the average infection rate, can be made more sophisticated based on individual risk assessment, like, for instance, your status uh, by vaccination or your status by test results.
0: One project that I noticed that was being worked on by Microsoft Salesforce and Oracle and they, they joined the Vaccination Credential Initiative. Are you familiar with that initiative and any insights that you have?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I mentioned that we are working with several other initiatives and, and Common Pass is one of them. And I believe this this initiative by the several US uh, companies is linked to to Common Pass. And uh, there are many problems that you need to solve uh, for uh, something like digital or, or smart vaccination certificate. And, and one of them is that uh, what is the data format that comes from, say, various medical records that usually sit in proprietary formats. To my best understanding, this initiative is, was really about agreeing on a, a common standard that then citizens can make use of if they want to have information about their vaccination made available for vaccination certificates, such as, as Common Pass or others. And as as such, I think this effort is extremely valuable and much needed. Totally another area that I know a lot of work has been uh, put into I- in Europe through the um, eHealth Network, which is the country collaboration body in Europe, some 27 member states and technical experts are talking about, is combining the paper-based vaccination certificates and the digital vaccination certificates and giving the similar security and privacy assurance regardless of the form that you are using them, which is also an, an interesting, and if people start thinking, much needed aspect of, of this that should be addressed
0: right and it makes me wonder how that will operationally work would there be a unique barcode on each piece of paper on those yellow cards or
1: yes those yellow cards and, and this is now where the limits of of WHO come into play that those yellow cards are hard-coded to the international treaty Called international health regulations, and which are passed uh, by 193 national parliaments. So, making any changes there will take some time. So, that is why WHO has, and then the process is uh, not about the vaccination passport, but it's about vaccination certificate, which, if the member states would decide uh, later on, could be also taken up for the vaccination passport as defined by this international health regulations and indeed each of those certificates can carry a barcode and now that is the, the discussion and and you can have several te- technological solutions first what do you in the barcode if then that links to uh, some website what is that information that is then made available on that website how much information are citizens carrying with them what is this verification that uh, is offered uh, to to the information that citizens are carrying with them. There are various solutions, but the idea that you can, and you can even imagine that, for instance, you you may have one paper which only states that yes, you have been vaccinated on that date, and that's it, whereas another document originating from the same healthcare facility gives you full vaccination record that you might be showing to the, the next doctor who is going uh, to give you a second jab. The first document you would show on the border guard doesn't need to know all the details. So it is possible to, to have the paper physical world somehow convey the same function as in the g- digital domain. Of course, the, the efficiency is different, and I don't think there is a ready-made solution that anyone has. But these are things that are being discussed in these long talking, I wouldn't say talking shops, but they are technically and intellectually very sound and robust discussions. And so I think that there is a lot of commitment by, by smart people that is put into these efforts. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sur- certain that some ease will be provided based on those guidances.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. And we also have to think about different levels of infrastructure technological infrastructure different countries have as well so there's a lot of conversations i'm sure that is happening throughout the uh globe on that
1: oh yeah i mean us estonia canada the netherlands have to agree on something that in the end is also acceptable to several countries in in africa or or asia uh, where the digital infrastructure and even the governance capabilities of a government are much lower.
0: Yeah. So I'm wondering if you've already had some feedback from beta testers of the platform of Vaccine Guard, And I'm glad that you mentioned that maybe the platform can also be used for different types of vaccinations. Is that what you were hinting at? Like maybe we can have yes. our entire record of when we're a child or a baby, it'll all be on the same platform, but then we can share we can decide which ones we want to share at a given time.
1: Indeed, yeah. Our first manufacturing partner, AstraZeneca, has told that they wish we were around three years ago when the serialization solution was developed in Europe and which is now also the same principles are being implemented across the globe in many countries. And also by the, the, the government and uh, government agencies and healthcare professionals, the first reaction is uh, very positive. Now, since the platform, uh, the best value or the, the highest value is delivered if different stakeholders agree to certain procedures and workflows together. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, the, probably the most challenging bit. And that is, in one hand, where the epidemic situation helps in terms of the motivation to come together. Of course, the downside is that it's a crisis situation and and people and organizations have awful lot of things to take care of so that aligning the priorities and, and finding the, the consensus that uh, this is now the first uh, thing that everybody should coordinate their activities with is the only let's say uh, uh tough part but the starting point has been extremely positive and and we also know that there are similar kind of solutions being developed by there is a group in india who's working so uh, always a good validation of your solution is if, if some other competitors are thinking in the same direction which tells you that there is an unmet need that that you you know can address.
0: Can you share some additional partners and some of your major investors in Guardtime?
1: Guardtime investment I- investor structure is is one thing that I cannot share in uh, that detail. So there are uh, private investors with which have been with, with Gartime since its establishment, and then we have also institutional investors, of which I can I can uh, share that the Swiss uh, SICPA is is one of, but yeah the full list of shareholders is not something that I can share with you.
0: Got it. No worries. Can you describe the company culture at guard time? Like how do employees work with each other? I'm sure now it's all remote. but any kind of tidbits you can share on that?
1: Yeah. So Guardtime is extremely flat organization uh, so that there is not uh, much hierarchy. And actually, the COVID pandemic didn't change too much of the, the culture in terms of teams being distributed uh, between time zones and geographies and working and collaborating remotely, even if being in office was part of the culture since the very beginning. And uh, yeah, even the, the biggest number of employees is working in Estonia. It is, it is highly international, even locally, and more so with all our colleagues and, in, in other locations. What motivates me at Gartheim since the very first day and until, uh, until today is its deep research and development-driven kind of attitude. So that I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but when a big part of the company is involved in research and development projects, starting from really basic research in cryptography that most probably will become come to practical use in more than five, seven years' time from now, up to the, I can say that even for the the vaccine guard, The way how we will balance the privacy and usability and then the the global scalability in terms of the business model is something where we had to bring in our brightest minds from the R&D department so that it's also applied research that you can use in your everyday practice. And you do have that resource inside your company. So I would say that if there is one thing that I can say is perhaps sad about uh, COVID times when you can't be at the office, is that uh, when you were in the office, just by walking through the, the company offices, you became smarter because you, you met somebody on the road and you exchanged a few sentences and you were already smarter than, than the, the day before so it's it's a great place uh, to to learn, regardless of your professional background or your actual you know, job task.
0: That's great to hear. and I did see on the website that the company is hiring for developers, so if anyone is interested in is a great developer, I would reach out to the company there. What's your outlook for, What's your outlook for 2021 and beyond?
1: I can say that we have really great expectations for for vaccineguard and these are now based on as i mentioned uh, a clear uh, and well articulated feedback from the customers that we are working already with and all the new prospects that we are that we are building i am also responsible for another product that gothem is developing in health domain which is more related to real world data usage for outcome based and value based uh, healthcare And that is also the domain where we can see a breakthrough for the company happening this year, because the the first pilot projects that we started uh, last year, which were a little bit delayed due to COVID, but which are maturing now in the first half of this year, and we, we are seeing great interest by other customers for the results of those pilots which then, obviously, we expect to turn into uh, commercial engagements with, with many, many customers.
0: Wow, I, I wasn't aware of that, but that sounds really interesting. I think that we can maybe have a conversation in the future about that one.
1: Yes, certainly. Sometime in May, April, May, I, I, I think we have really cool things to share uh, from the work we're doing in, in, in Sweden, Spain, and, and Italy and UK.
0: Awesome. There are a couple personal questions I want to ask you. And you know, now we have a few more minutes here. Do you have a book that influenced you that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Yes. Actually, now that you ask, if I could name two, then, then I, I find difficult to prioritize or, or bring one about the other. But the book by James Glake about the information theory. I think it's called the information history theory of a flood. It was like a, a thriller written about the history of uh, most influential theories in its very practical uh, meaning. If you haven't read it, uh, please do so. Basically, you know, by the end of the book, you have the same revelation that I always describe. That Neo had in the end of the first part of the Matrix, when you actually start seeing that everything around you is information, and uh, from the drum beats and how the information was uh, shared in uh, a few thousand years ago, beating drums in in uh, the, the cradle of mankind in in, in Africa, to the most sophisticated light cables, you can see that there is the same pattern, the same things. And how mankind has learned to basically master all that. This, this was just an incredible thing. And uh, from the management point of view, certainly McChrystal's book about how you manage modern complex teams and organizations, uh, which is team of teams. Really, you can't be successful in, in an organization uh, without really embracing and understanding that it's a complex. So that... How you can make everybody contribute in the best way they can is very different uh, from what was thought maybe even 10, 15 years ago. So, those are the two, two books that I remind everyone inside the company or at home, my my children and, and my friends, that if you want to understand why I do certain things in certain way, these books probably help to decode that.
0: That's fantastic. I will be adding those two books in the show notes for, for the audience to check out. So thank you for sharing that. And I just want to thank you so much again. This has been such a great conversation, packed full of information, and I'm really excited for guard time, especially vaccine guard and what you guys are doing there. So I just want to give you you know a few minutes if you have any other final takeaways that the audience should know about. I really enjoyed this, so again, thanks and looking forward to talking to you again.:
1: Thank you, Ray. I think that I would say in the end something that actually comes from a from third book, which is a fiction novel, which is Dostoevsky's Idiot, uh, and basically tells that the recent times sometimes have been interpreted as if there is uh, less hope for mankind and people. And I can tell you it's nothing like that. Listening to people around you and then actually trying to do something that makes things better. If you recognize that ability in yourself, and also if you recognize uh, that from, from the people, even if they believe in, in in things that are different, but the action towards improving everyday lives is something that that I've seen. This hasn't changed, and also noticing that helps me you find hope that, in the end of the day, as one of my professors in the uni- university told that, human species is very resilient. So I think we can survive these dark times. Whatever somebody has the definition of, of of the dark times, but I'm very hopeful.
0: Totally agree, and I think it might seem like dark times now, but we're living in the best time ever. If you think about it, as we continue to progress as technology gets better and we become most importantly more connected and i think that's one thing blockchain is going to do is connect us all in ways that we can't imagine yet yeah no I, yeah. that's a good it's a good takeaway
1: thank you it has been a pleasure talking to you and i hope that we can well also meet once again when the plane starts uh, flying again with, with the same abundance as they used to so i really hope that we can Find it seems that our interests are aligned, but also that that some of the the events that I do miss will come back.
0: I look forward to it as well. Hey, y'all! You cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors, check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me health unchained if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends your bosses your teams your students to listen and subscribe thank you